above me. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. Rain keeps falling. Yes. Oh, gosh, what a song. Yeah, it was the closing of the Breakfast Club, and we all felt a collective release as the kids in detention lead the school library, having learned something about each other. With us is Amanda from Ekatahuna. Amanda, kia ora. Kia ora. Did you know it's straight off? Absolutely, Wallace. It's, um, you know, the thing about music being like a time machine. I was 1985, a nursing student dancing around my handbag at the disco with my friends <laughs> yes it, it just it just it's a song that takes you somewhere doesn't it i don't know where but it takes you somewhere absolutely and it, it's um you know i think it's quite anthemic as a song and yeah. like you guys were all just singing you couldn't just dance you had to sing with it as well you had to sing with it and the, the breakfast club you know as 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 the, the the volatile john bender walks through the school football field he triumphantly pumps his fist in the air we were all that person one day weren't we we certainly were even as a nursing student <laughs> there was a bit of a rebel there definitely <laughs> oh very very good amanda wonderful stuff thanks for uh, thanks for um uh, tuning in Thanks so much, Wally. Thanks for having me on. Let's have a little bit more of it. Here we go. Great track, isn't it, Andrew Hargard? You're out there. You're hitting those fence posts with a hammer or whatever you hit them with, and you're really powered up about the day, huh? I suppose, yeah. Perhaps, yeah. Perhaps, yeah. Perhaps, um, yeah, yeah. That's probably not the music I'd use for um, getting stuck into fencing, though. Okay. <laughs> it's a good song. But, yeah. All right. Now, um, I got an early mobile I was allowed to use for calls Topol South. It was in Auckland, basically, when rates made sense compared to landline. A car battery-sized thing with connected coil lead to the handset. Cheers, says Cal. Um, the best part of the panel is when Wallace sings along at the end of the song. It's Chris's <laughs> viewpoint. Yes, it is. Do you reckon? Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks. For, you're, you're loving this. You're loving it. Uh, all right. Uh, I saw these guys in 86 in Wellington uh, Town Hall, says Daryl. Uh, you're on the panel on RNZ National. Another big news today. New Zealand's passenger transport system is in crisis. According to a public transport advocate, be it buses in Auckland or other centres or the Cook Strait ferries, we have a nationally broken system. Just today, Bluebridge has again cancelled sailings aboard the stricken Feronia ferry for a second day in a row. Four sailings cancelled yesterday. RNZ's Farah Hancock has done an investigation of the crisis of our urban bus networks. Hundreds of services cancelled every day. So what do you have? An average weekday last month in Feb, 1,085 Auckland buses listed in timetables. They failed to show up. In Wellington, an average of 448 daily cancellations left passengers stranded. They're big numbers. And Verity Johnson, in her I've Been Thinking yesterday, well, she just gave up waiting for the bus in Auckland after an hour. With us is John Rees, a public transport advocate. Kia ora, John. Good afternoon, Wallace. In your many years of advocacy, have you ever seen transport woes like this? 
Sadly, no, I've never seen it as bad as it is today. It is, this is, I, I don't know how much worse it can get, to be honest. This is really bad if you're a public transport user anywhere in New Zealand, really. It's, everyone's affected. Verity Johnson on the panel yesterday said she made a real effort as a non-public transport user. Uh, she said 2023 is going to be my year to be a bus goer. And she said so far it's not working for her. I guess the lack of confidence won't bode well for new users. No, no you're right. You're right. I mean, we're trying to convince people to use public transport, but at the same time, the whole system's collapsing, including the inter-island ferries. So basically, we can't do any of our, achieve any of our goals for getting growth in public transport users until the system's fixed up. And basically, the 101 need to be fixed up. Like, we, we need buses to turn up. We even need bus stops. We need timetables of bus stops. Um, all the basics aren't being delivered. And in the meantime, we've got the central government, the Labour government, pushing a 30 or $40 billion tram and Auckland Light Rail tram to the airport. Quite frankly, we need that money spent on the infrastructure we have now because it's falling to bits. Are you saying, before I get to the panel, are you saying, forget the big stuff, just bin it. We want yeah. solutions as of tomorrow. I think all public transport users and even road users, look, the state highways are falling to pieces as well. I think we just want to have the basics fixed, whether it's the public transport network or the general roading transport network. It's just got to be fixed. And at the moment, the government is focusing on the wrong areas, which are tram or light rail lines not going to be delivered for 10 or 15 or 20 years for huge amounts of money. So just concentrate on the basics. Get those right, first of all. Then let's go and look at the big fancy dream stuff. Okay, Boopsy, you're an urbanist, you're a strategist yourself. Do you agree or do you disagree? As someone who's taken the bus to Starship with my child, I always trusted the bus. And yes, I agree that this has been the hardest year to be an advocate for public transport. Is it? Yes, I've taken the ferry. I take the ferry often as well. And I just have a question to um, John about tech. Like, I sit on the bus stop sometimes on a Saturday and I say, I don't mind if it doesn't come as often. I just wish the timetable matched. So why can't we, let's say, change the timetable in real time to at least not have ghost buses, but have less buses that show up on time and are reliable? Why is that not a short-term solution for our current lack of drivers? Well, it just seems like um, like anything they're trying isn't working because the lack of drivers and lack of captains and crew for the ferries uh, Mm -hmm. is just uh, impacting on every single or nearly every service that they're running. So, I mean, tech would be great, but look, I was sitting at a bus stop the other week in Auckland and the, the passenger information display sign was ripped out. So I was sitting at a bus stop in Ponsonby with nowhere to know. You couldn't tell when the bus is coming because there was no sign there and there was no even printed out timetable. And I was just thinking, if you can't get that right, stop worrying about light rail to the airport. <laughs> get these basics right in Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch and Dunedin. Get the, get the basics right. Can I just, before we go to Andrew, can I just put this in from Jonathan from Devonport? He says, just a small plug for AT. When I started with one of the bus operators about 10 years ago, it was all quite immature in belts and braces. Both operators and AT, they have put a lot of work into getting a reliable network and standards. This is John's view. It must be so frustrating for both AT and contractors to see that falling apart when we need more people on public transport. Uh, Can you, do you get a sense of where Jonathan's coming from there, John? Oh, totally. Look, I I get contacted by passengers all the time. 
Um, look, I just on Sunday, there was Beach Haven Ferry was cancelled and there was like about 25 passengers and a couple of dogs waiting to catch a ferry from Beach Haven to Auckland City and it didn't turn up and 80 put on one taxi. Now, you know, if you can't get this right, even getting taxis right, we're just going to have to say to people, look, you're going to be better off driving your car to wherever you're going. That's the only way you can guarantee you get your hospital appointments, your work, your education. All right. Um, we haven't even yeah. talked about uh, the Cook's Trade Ferries. And by the way, a lot of response coming through on this, echoing what you're saying. Uh, one from Brooklyn here saying just woeful. We haven't even, uh, Andrew Hoggard, touched on the ferries. And I think someone mentioned, it might have even been you, John, that they are really, um, you know, they're, they're our state highway, the Cook's Trade Ferry. Do you and your sector business rely on the ferries? Um. There is a bit of stock movement, but also feed movement and stuff that goes across the ferries. Um, so that is, you know, if they're not working properly, that does have impacts. Um, but you've kind of seen it everywhere with everything. Um, you know, every all of the freight firms are short of drivers, um, short of, you know, there's short of mechanics and people to keep these things running. So even if you've got the driver, but if you don't have the mechanic... Um, then the bus breaks down. It's hard to get going again. It's, to me, this is really we've got a real challenge around. You know, we just seem to have. I don't know where everyone is or the workforce. Um, obviously, doing public relations in Wellington. Um, no, we you've some, been bagging. You know, <laughs> I've, got, I've got a few. Can I, can I pull you up? You've been bagging uh, Adam Finitum and willy nilly uh, public servants on this very show, and people are getting fed up of it, Andrew. Twice this this thing, but look, we've had a massive explosion of growth there, and yet we're struggling everywhere else in the economy. Um, we do need to have a balanced economy where we've got you know workforce. You know, we can't Wellington can't suck up every able-bodied right, person. All right, you've said you've, you've said what you want to say, there, yeah. Andrew. But oh, I mean, God. that's the challenge, and you, but you've seen it in the private sector. I mean, in New Zealand, they're struggling as well to keep flights going. It, it is a We've got an economy-wide issue with a lack of people doing jobs. Okay. Now, John, on that then, uh, on a more solutions-focused idea, you have an idea on how to fix the bus situation as of tomorrow. What is it? Well, yep. Well, first of all, I would say if you want to join the become a bus driver, after, say, 12 months, you're going to get a lump sum cash bonus if you're staying bus driving. That's that's. Great. That should help bring people into the industry. And the other, another idea is we actually do have a lot of unemployed people still. How about making it so attractive they want to take up being bus drivers or learn to be mechanics for bus depots? You know, we've got a, a really human resource capital pool there we're not using. And honestly, New Zealand needs them. So why don't we encourage them to get into driving buses? Well, I think the driving issue is a problem if we don't have drivers or captains. But while we're waiting, I feel like we still haven't addressed that our timetables are incorrect. Like, it's been four months. Why don't we just do one an hour and it shows up? Because that would be much more common. One an hour? You're kidding me. It's better than three ghost ones and standing in the rain. I'd leave my house or leave wherever I'm working if I knew it was coming on time. So you can plan, because right now what you do is you sit. Got it. I understand what you're saying. I'd rather change the whole timetable to address the shortages and then wait. Actually, that's quite a good point, John, just knowing knowing that it will turn up. Yes, but it has to 100% guaranteed turn up, because if it's one an hour and it doesn't turn up, uh, that's two hours. So why don't they just change the timetable, though, to cut 
the 20%, if there's no drivers, that's the one that's coming. That's a solution with what yeah. we have today. Very well, good. We did try that in Auckland, and still there was massive gaps. So they actually did try and do that um, in Auckland, AT did. Uh, but still, buses on those schedules that were left over actually weren't arriving either. So mm. it's, it's, it's just a, a, like if you're a public transport user right now, it's a real hard time. And the government has to sort this out. The really, or the political parties yeah. in this election coming up need to table what they're going to do. No, it's a cross-party thing. Yeah. yeah, it's a cross-party thing. Absolutely, John. Kia ora. Yeah. Uh, that's John Rees, uh, public transport activist. People are sick to the back teeth. We're getting it here. Uh, just really, really actually quite upset about um, getting these uh, jolly ghost buses and a brilliant uh, investigative piece by RNZ's Farrah Hancock where part of the discussion started on the RNZ site. But a shout-out to Port Chalmers to Dunedin bus drivers, a fantastic regular service, even though there are lots of roadworks getting the cycleway finished. Thank you, says one text. All right, uh, to this. The cost of living crisis is creating a domino effect across many parts of society. And one effect we haven't discussed before on the panel is that it appears to be impacting the number of New Zealand kids participating in grassroots sports. College sport Wellington saw a 2% decline in participation rates last year, specifically sports like rugby union, hockey cross country and softball. They've seen some big declines. With us to tell us firsthand is Porterua College Deputy Principal John Toop. John, nice to have you on the panel. Kia thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's uh, something that even in our own whānau we are seeing, you know, the, the people, uh, 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 grassroots groups are really stretched both in uh, the number of people they can get to volunteer to help out with the games, but also just the sheer costs of these games, John. Yeah, I know it is. It's, um, it's difficult for our whānau to actually pay for the fees for the sports. So um, what we do as a school is we um, offer every sport for just $30. Right. Um, per student, which would usually be over a hundred, so that's one of the things that we're doing. How how has it come to this? What do you see as the major issue? Is it the is it cost as an impediment? Yes, of course it is. Otherwise, we wouldn't have dropped the cost. I mean, the school yeah. actually soaks up that cost. They, um, the the sports don't drop their costs, but the mm. schools have to cover it somehow. So that's what we do. And you have seen it as a priority uh, at Potterall College because you see young people getting into activity like sports as key? Absolutely. I mean, if, if a young person's not in sport, they're doing other things, and sometimes those other things are um, not as healthy for them, if I can say it that way. Yeah. All right, Boopsie, what do you reckon? Oh, I 100% agree about sports. I grew up playing lots of sports, and I think... Um, even this year with the cost cutting, I had to make my children choose one sport because one was more expensive than the other. Do yours, does your high school have access to like the replay.org where they get the boots and the equipment, um, secondhand? Yeah, we do. We have, um, we have access to that and, um, we do use it. Um, so, you know, anything we can do there are young people into sport. And is that um, is also getting to and from games? I find it's hard after COVID, like it's really hard to be brave to coordinate and communicate with new parents you don't know since we're out of practice have you noticed that being a problem just forming the communities that we had before the pandemic often our students the whānau can't afford to get them from one place you know if they're playing over on um, Mm. um, Valley High School for example we put vans on we've got three Mm. vans to be able to do it Uh, and staff volunteer to drive them yeah yeah Mm. Uh, Andrew 
Yeah, I'm going through this at the moment with um, my daughters and their sports, and um, yeah, often uh, probably not the fees. It's sort of all the gear that goes with it, um, and the time of you know every time. But it, it, you know, you got to make that time because um, sports are so. I, you know, I really enjoyed my sport at school, and it's so valuable. I'm just wondering. I I don't know whether it was a full blown thing back when I was. Uh, schoolboy rugby, but I do remember there was a couple of years there where um, Gillette um, put a whole bunch of money or stuff into Wellington schoolboy rugby. Um, we all got free raises and stuff that one year. Um, and whether or not there's you know companies that might think about actually you know sponsor or helping that out um, because you know that example I've used the Gillette razor ever since. Um, so they certainly got their money out of the, <laughs> the free one they gave me back then. Um, but you know, it's whether or not there's that. It's a we could you could get that sort of corporate um, sort of sponsorship to a degree of helping promote um, school school sports funding avenues, John. Yeah, look, we'd would love something like that, um, but we don't have the resources to go out and seek that at the moment. Mm. Um, our teachers are busy looking after young people with their mental health issues. Um, and the like, and getting them into sport, it's hard to go out to the companies and say, Look, give us some money. Busy um, teaching, eh? <laughs> yeah, busy yeah. teaching and the rest of it. Yeah. And the rest, yeah. John, yeah. It's, it's a pleasure to have you on the program. Keep up the great work, and um, I hope to um, keep in touch. Okay, thanks very much. Appreciate that. That is the Porterville College Deputy Principal, John Top. So they're uh, stumping up uh, part of the money so they can uh, get their uh, young into sports. It's just vital, isn't it, It's absolutely vital I think to, get, to give the kids a taste. It's important not just to taste sport, but to keep something after school, right, Andrew? Like after school, you're just five yep. days a week practice is so healthy in so many ways. Yeah. Yep, and there's, you don't want them doing other things after school. Um, it's a good, you know where they are, and they're doing something um, that's good, and it teaches so and many they life could, skills they, as they well. Could, they could, they could grow up, and heaven forbid, they could even turn out to be a public servant. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? I'm just teasing, Andrew. Uh, eight away yeah. from five. The panel RNZ National. Now, the courtroom saga featuring Gwyneth Paltrow captured the world's attention, but specifically. The wardrobe captured attention. The courtroom drama itself, that was dull. All those soft fabrics and beige muted tones. Nothing crazy, no logos. Laura Piana cream high-neck jumpers. They specialise in cashmere turtlenecks. A Prada cashmere shirt. And then I thought, hey, could Gwyneth Paltrow be the gift that New Zealand wool and cashmere needs. With us is Wool Yarns General Manager and New Zealand Cashmere Director, Andy May. Andy, great to have you on the panel. Thanks, thanks very much. It's well, look, look, a bit of a connection here, but I don't know if you caught any of Gwyneth Paltrow's wardrobe, but I spotted an opening for New Zealand Cashmere. How about you? Yeah. Well, well. To be honest, I didn't. Uh, I'm not a great one to, to, to watch okay. watch the celebrity, but but I um but I know exactly where they're coming from, and and uh, as as we do here at Wool Yarns, the the world is is crying out for um well the fashion brands are crying out for a, a transparent, credible, sustainable supply of cashmere. So um yeah, we here at New Zealand we uh, sorry Wool Yarns and and New Zealand Cashmere we said hey look we can we can do that. 
Well, I tell you what, Andy, jump on board the train because um, those fashions, those cashmere fashions, they're exploding thanks to this courtroom drama. Uh, Is it about putting New Zealand wool brands in the hands of the right textile merchants or designers like Laura Piana? Oh, definitely, yep. No, I mean, we've, I mean, the, the, the current supply of cashmere out of um, the current sources is, is not good environmentally. Um, right. We see an opportunity, we see an opportunity for, the, uh, for the farming community to get involved in, in cashmere goats. Um, they wow. add, add some more value to their farms, and, and we've got an amazing fibre that we can sell into these, oh. these brands internationally, and, and they're screaming out for, um, for a good, credible supply of the stuff. Let's do it, Andrew. Will New Zealand cashmere, New York Fashion Week. Absolutely, it sounds great. Me and you. Uh, you <laughs> <laughs> I've got the answers here on the panel, Andrew. <laughs> Andrew. Yes. Sorry. Yep. What? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Hello. Are you I'm listening to you. this? Yes. Yes, I am. Yes. What do you think of this? Um. Oh, look. Uh, anything that um, we can do to help promote natural fibres from New Zealand, I think, is brilliant. Brilliant. Whether it's wool, cashmere, um, any of the others. Um, you know, there's so much better for the environment in terms of uh, the synthetics. And, you know, it's just an absolute frustration for a lot of farmers, no matter what they are, what they're farming, when they see, you know, natural products sort of viewed poorly compared yes. to um, synthetics. And it sh- should be valued in uh, uh, promoted way on more. That- on that, I couldn't agree more, and that is something that has been an issue, hasn't it? You've had the synthetics, um, really, number one, and the natural fibres in the background. What do you reckon about this, Bootsy? I think definitely more and more the public are wanting natural fibres. It's just a matter, I have a question, as we have an expert with us. What would the average sweater, are you guys working only in it, like the really high end, or are there hmm. medium-end cashmere that a, a layperson like myself might afford and, and treasure? <laughs> Well, um, yeah, there'll be all different grades, um, you know, and, and it is just the start of the industry. So uh, we've got to cater for, for everyone and anyone. But there was, there's some beautiful, absolutely beautiful fibres coming out of, New Ze- out of New Zealand already. So they'll, they'll go to the likes of Gwyneth and Brad and Brad Pitt and Co. So, you know, we'll, we'll cater for everyone. I can, someone says, I can see you in a cashmere turtleneck, Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> You've read my dreams. Um, you've read my dreams. What, if anything, is unique, Andy, about New Zealand cashmere? Well, well, the fibre is unique. I mean, we have a we have some beautiful sunlight here, clean water, so it is it is brighter. It's got more luster. It's it's softer than the current supply, but it's just around having that credibility behind that credibility behind where it's coming from. And New Zealand, I mean, is is seemed to be, and it is one of the best in the world, if not the yeah. best. So. Uh, we've got to build on that, and we've got a great opportunity, which you know we want the farming sector to support us, um, the textile sectors, and we could really uh, grow this into a, a, a very good industry for New Zealand. Pretty exciting, because you've got that three-year program, don't you, aimed at restarting yep. uh, the yep. cashmere industry. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And look, we've got our partners, Wool Yarns, and, and they can process about 150,000 kilos of cashmere a year. That's, wow. about, six, that's about 600,000 cashmere goats, and... Um, we can get there if, if the farming sector supports us. Andrew, will you support them? You're the CEO, you're the head of the farmers. I don't think my fences are good enough to contain goats, but um, look, <laughs> I, for any uh, farmer out there that's uh, looking for other options, well, look, if the 
the challenge is making sure that a logistics chain and everything, the whole value chain is there and working. And that, that yeah. has been some of the challenges we've had within the sort of fibre sector and wool specifically yeah. of, you know, a kind of a broken chain that hasn't led to great returns for the farmers. So I think that's the key thing, get that, get that chain working well. Yeah. Uh, New Zealand Cashmere, New York Fashion Week. Let's do it. Can, 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 I, can I answer that? We, Wool Yarns has invested in the Scarron and D here and here on site. $2 million. So we're ready. Good on you. We're ready for the fibre. Good on you, Andrew. We're ready. Sorry. And I'm ready for my Cashmere turtleneck made in New Zealand. Uh, Bruce Moran and Andrew Hargo, you've been wonderful. Thank you for being with me. I'm Wallace Chapman. I'll see you tomorrow, 3.45. Checkpoint with Lisa Owen is next. <laughs>